turn over to the book of Romans chapter 5. I'm going to share some things with you during this weekend that I believe to be some of the most profound things in the Word of God and things that a lot of people don't have understanding of. And you know, there's a scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1 that says, All things that pertain unto life and godliness come to us through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. And I mean, that means all things in every area of your life. If you've got a physical problem, if you need healing in your body, you've got a knowledge problem. You don't understand something about what Jesus produced. I know there's a lot of people who disagree with that and say, oh, I know that, you know, by stripes we're healed, but you don't have a full revelation of it. The knowledge of what the doctor has to say, what is said on the television, on the news and different things, what Aunt Susie said about it when she had that sickness, those things are more important to you than what the Word of God says. Somewhere you've got a knowledge problem because everything that pertains unto life and godliness comes through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. So I'm going to share some of the things that I believe to be the most profound, some of the most fundamental things that the Word of God has to say. And this is something that is not going to be real entertaining. I know a lot of people come to services because they want to be entertained. They want something exciting. They want uh, people running down the aisles or somebody shouting or running. And there's nothing wrong with those things in their places. But you know what? When you get sick and the doctor tells you you're going to die, it's not your excitement that is going to get you well. It's the knowledge of God. It's the truth of God's word. And many people have just been entertained instead of educated. And I'm going to be sharing some things that are going to make you think. You're going to have to use your brain for something besides a hat rack. But I encourage you, it's going to be well, well worth the effort. Amen? So this may be a different form of ministry for some of you, but I think it'll be really beneficial. Matter of fact, there is so much in these few verses that I'm going to share that honestly, you could stay on this for weeks, weeks, weeks ministering. It's going to be hard for me to try and condense this and get it all into here. But the book of Romans is Paul's masterpiece on the subject of grace. And he taught effectively uh, from the Word of God how that Jesus totally changed everything and took away the condemnation of the Old Testament law. And I mean, it is profound. If the book of Romans isn't one of your favorite books, you do not have a good foundation in the Word of God. That's quite a statement, but I believe that's absolutely true. The book of Romans ought to be one of your favorite books because it is just cram-packed. And the fifth chapter is awesome. I hate to skip any of it, but if I don't skip it, I'll preach on it. So let me jump down to Romans chapter 5 and in verse... Man, I hate to skip any of this, but let's go to verse 14. It says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. I hesitate to put this in his context. I could preach on this for hours. But let me just say real quickly that in the first, the two previous verses, he said sin isn't imputed where there is no law. And he made a point that the law didn't come until nearly 2,000 years after the fall of Adam. So he's saying that in between the fall of Adam until the time that the law came, God wasn't imputing people's sins unto them. 
That is a radical statement. I've got an entire tape set entitled The True Nature of God. I've got a book on it that that's what that whole set is about. Romans chapter 5 verses 12 and 13. That is one of the most radical statements. It is completely contrary to religion in the way it teaches today. Radical concept. And I'm not going to preach on that in the name of Jesus. But if that's true, well then if God wasn't imputing sin, then how come people died before the law came? That's what this verse is saying. Nevertheless, people died, death reigned. Why? Because sin had a twofold effect. Sin wasn't only a transgression against God that brought his wrath and judgment, but sin also gives Satan an inroad into your life. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. That's saying that when you yield to sin, you are yielding to the author of that sin, which is Satan, and you give Satan free access to you. So I call it a vertical and a horizontal effect of sin. Even though God wasn't bringing this vertical effect of sin, he was not imputing sin unto people. And I could just nearly preach on this. <laughs> but did you know a- Abraham married a half-sister, which according to Leviticus 18, if you married a half-sister, you're supposed to be put to death. It's a sexual abomination. Abraham did that, and yet he was the friend of God. God didn't impute that sin unto him. And then uh, Jacob came along and married two sisters, Rachel and Leah, while the other was still alive. According to Leviticus 18, that's a sexual abomination. You have to kill him. And yet he was a man who wrestled with an angel of God and prevailed and became Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel were named after him. God was dealing with people in mercy, not imputing their trespasses unto them before the law. If that was so, why didn't they... Why did people die then? Because even though God wasn't bringing his judgment on sin, sin was destroying the human race. Sin was opening up a door and Satan was coming in and destroying people. And so it'll even say this in just a couple of verses, God added the law. In other words, that wasn't essential. It wasn't a part of the original covenant. The original covenant with Abraham was faith not law. And the law came 430 years later. God added the law to make sin so hateful, so odious, so bad that people would despair of ever trying to overcome their problems on their own and say, God, if this is the way you feel about sin, have mercy on me. And they would turn from self-righteousness and start receiving right standing with God by a gift. That was the purpose of the law. Not so you could keep it, but to show you how incapable of keeping the law you were so that you would quit trying to be self-righteous and you would throw yourself on the mercy of God. One of the slickest deceptions that the devil has ever put forth is to convince the modern day church that God gave all of the commands so that you could keep them and by keeping them, you would earn God's favor. That was never the purpose of the law. The purpose was never given to make you accepted with God, but rather to show you how far from being accepted with God you could ever be so you'd quit trying to earn it. Thank you for those few head nods. Some of you are thinking about that. And that's in that other set. That's the one on the true nature of God. 
Man, that's good stuff. So that's the reason that death reigned, even though God wasn't judging it, Satan was destroying the human race because of the amount of sin. And so God had to give something that literally scared the devil out of people. And that was the law. And then in verse 15, it said, and well, let me say at the end of verse 14, he said, talking about Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And it says that Adam was a figure or a comparison to Jesus. Now, the reason I brought my computer up here, I want to read some of this to you out of other translations because the King James doesn't always uh, say this as clearly as some of these others. But, um, and let me just mention that if you don't, aren't aware of this, I've got a, a living commentaries where we, what we call it. And I've got over 17,000 verses that I've written footnotes on. And um, this could really be a blessing to you. But let me read this to you in the Amplified in verse 14. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Yet death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type prefigure of the one who was to come in reverse the former destructive, the latter saving. So he's making a comparison, but he's making an opposite. It's a contrast more than a comparison. And then in verse 15, it says, but God's free gift is not at all to be compared with the trespass. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. For if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, Much more profusely did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. So anyway, he's making a comparison. When he says that Adam was a similitude or a figure of him that was to come, he was talking about in the same way that sin and all of the results of sin, death entered the human race through Adam, life and righteousness and everything good comes through Jesus Christ. So they're alike in that sense, but actually opposite. One transgression produced all of the death and the decay that we see in the world today. And in the opposite way, God took all of the many, many millions of transgressions and through one person completely eradicated those. So there is a comparison, but it's actually an opposite type of comparison. Let me read to you the NIV on this. Um, That's not my favorite translation. (laughs) But nonetheless, here's what the NIV has to say about this. In verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And this is going to be repeated five times in these verses. You know, let me just share this with you, that when I... Some of you have heard my testimony, but I was born again when I was eight. I became a religious Pharisee, not intending to. I just got into church and they taught me that God was going to love me and accept me based on my performance. And so I tried to perform better than anybody else. And I really did 
perform well compared to other people, but I got to trust him that God was going to love me based on my own performance. And then I had this miraculous encounter, March the 23rd, 1968, and God just showed up and God showed me what a hypocrite I was and how I was trusting in my own goodness. And he showed me his holiness compared to my holiness. And I thought he was going to kill me. I hated myself. I saw the hypocrisy and stuff. And, and it's a long story, but man, I, I just confessed everything I could think of expecting God to kill me. And instead of killing me, I uh, experienced a supernatural love for four and a half months. I was caught up in the presence of God. It was awesome. But I was confused because I'd been taught my whole life that my God's acceptance of me was based on my performance. For the first time in my life, I admitted and recognized that my performance stunk, that I could not be self-righteous. And when I finally humbled myself and just admitted, God, I'm no good at all is when I experienced the love of God. It wasn't when I did something right. It's when I finally realized for the first time, everything I was doing was wrong. And it confused me. And praise God, I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. Because in Vietnam, I just had to lock myself up with God. In 15 hours a day, I got to study in the Word. And that's where I began to start getting some revelation. And things began to start working in my life. But when I got back from Vietnam, I certainly didn't have the fullness of the revelation. And I remember that here I was, I knew God loved me. I knew it was not based on anything that I deserved. I didn't have the full understanding from Scripture, but I had experienced God's love at my lowest, not at my best. And I knew that His love had nothing to do with any goodness in me whatsoever. And so I knew that God loved me, but I didn't have the revelation of who I was in Christ and my identity in Christ yet. And when I got out of Vietnam, some of my friends, this this guy who's kind of my mentor, started taking me to these charismatic Bible studies. And uh, I was raised a Baptist. And man, I had a lot of prejudice against a lot of things. One of them was a woman teaching. I didn't think women could teach. It was wrong for women to teach. And so anyway, he took me to a Bible study where this woman was teaching. So I came in with a chip on my shoulder. I was already convinced that this was probably of the devil just because a woman was teaching. And then this was back about 1971 or something like that. And uh, I was in the Baptist church. And if a man's hair touched his collar, he went straight to hell. He did not pass go. He didn't collect $200. It was just an automatic trip to hell if if your hair touched your collar. And when I got there, not only was a woman leading the Bible study, but there were hippies there with hair like dairy. (laughs) They had hair down to the middle of their back. And I just was like, oh God, what am I doing in this place? And then they started their Bible study. And in their Bible study, they were talking about being righteous. And oh man, I just had taken about all I could take. And so I whooped out my two or three scriptures. There is none righteous. No, not one. All of your righteousness is like filthy rags. And I whooped my scriptures out and put them all in their place. And I was waiting on them to fight back and get offended. And did you know the scripture says that you'll know them by their love one for another. These guys didn't get mad at me. They were just as kind. They operated in the love of God. 
And they started speaking to me. And for every scripture I quoted, they quoted 10 scriptures about being the righteousness of God completely as a gift, not according to your performance. And man, it just, it knocked me off balance. I didn't have a clue what to say. And I remember I was so impressed with their, how could they know the word? They had long hair. It was impossible. (laughs) This just really messed up my whole theology. And, And it embarrassed me too, because I had been in church my whole life and I was supposed to know the word of God. And so anyway, what I did, I went home and I bought a Young's Analytical Concordance. I don't know if any of you ever used that. But I bought a Young's Analytical Concordance and I looked up every word, every time in the Bible that it used the word righteous, righteousness, righteousnesses, and there's thousands of them. And I looked up every single verse over a week's time. I fasted and prayed and spent 15 to 16 hours a day looking up every verse, writing those verses down. And at the end of that week, I was convinced that I was righteous. Not because I felt it, not because I had lived holy, but I saw what the word of God says. And I was just intellectually, I embraced it, but in my heart, I couldn't embrace it because I had been taught my whole life that I was unrighteous. And anyway, I say all of that to say that these verses right here, after I had seen this truth, these verses are the straw that broke the camel's back. These are the verses that just revolutionized my life. I've never gotten over it. This is how the Lord finally got this truth through to me through these verses right here. So he's talking about, look at this in the 15th verse, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God And the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. That is some of the most radical statements in the Bible. I don't know if you get that or not. That's awesome. In verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. You know, there's a reoccurring theme here. And again, I'm trying not to preach everything I know about this, but but this is an awesome statement right here. Most people think that the reason they are unrighteous is because of what you have done. And some of you have lived a really rotten life. Some of you have done some things that are really bad. And because of it, you just feel like, how could God ever use me? You know, when we give the testimony about Hannah being healed, Most of you just applauded and praised God. You believe that. If you didn't believe that God does miracles, you wouldn't come out here to a a hotel on a Thursday night to listen to a hick from Texas preach. You know what? You are an absolute stark raving mad fanatic. You aren't the nod to God crowd. You believe in the supernatural power of God and that's why you're here. And if I said, how many of you believe that God could raise somebody like Hannah up? Man, you're just right there. Amen. And if somebody came up and says, man, I I have problems, you would be saying, pray for them. Man, you'd believe God. But you know where I could lose the vast majority of you? I say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for them. 
And all of a sudden, some of you who don't have a doubt that Hannah was healed, you don't have a doubt that I could pray and see somebody healed. I say, all right, you come pray for him. And all of a sudden, your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. What happened? What changed? Did you believe that God quit? No, but it's because you relate God flowing through you to your own righteousness, to your own goodness. And you may think I'm holy. You ought to ask my wife. (laughs) The only reason people have more faith in my prayers than they have in their prayers is because they know them better than they know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. You know what? I don't get anything from God because I deserve it, because I'm holy. It's not based on my goodness. But see, you know your unrighteousness. And most people think that, oh God, how could you love me? Because look what I've done. These verses, it says it five different times. It'll say it over and over and over. God was was upset with the human race and separated from us, not because of what you did, but because of what Adam did. Adam's the one that made you a sinner. Adam's the one that made you live in death. And all your actions did was confirm that you had his nature on the inside of you. Now your actions have a lot of impact when it comes to relating to other people. And I'm not saying that your actions are unimportant, but when it comes to God, it was not your actions. It was the sin nature that separated us from God, not your sins. Your sins came as a result of having a nature that was separated from God and dead in trespasses and sins. Your sin didn't make you have a sin nature. Your sin nature made you sin. That's a huge difference. And this is what it's saying over and over. Death entered into this world, not because of what you did, but because of what Adam did. You were born a sinner. David said in Psalms chapter 51, in sin did my mother conceive me. That's not talking about that she had an adulterous relationship. That's talking about all of us were born in sin. A baby is born with a sin nature. You do not have to teach a child to lie, to steal, to be selfish. A child comes by it naturally. Here's a little parenthetical phrase in Romans chapter seven, which it deals with all of these things. I'm just not going to be able to cover this in five sessions. But in Romans chapter seven, it says I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Sin was already present. A baby is born with a sin nature, but it's not imputed unto you until the law comes, until you knowingly transgress. And then when you sin is not when you get a sin nature, that's when your sin nature is held against you. If a child dies prior to this time when they knowingly transgress the law, God is not imputing their sins unto them. You can see that with David's son who died. He said, I'll go to him, but he won't come back to me. Anyway, I say that to say, some people are saying, well, are you saying that a baby would go to hell because it has a sin nature? No, because it's not held against you until you knowingly cooperate and, and intentionally violate the commands of God. At the moment you do that, sin doesn't come. It says sin revives. It was already present. It revives. And from that time forth, if a person dies after they knowingly have transgressed against God, then that sin nature is held against you. But it's the sin nature that separates you from God. You were born in trespasses and sin. And if you understand this, it really makes a lot of difference 
Because the person who says, but you just don't understand how bad I've been. Well, you don't understand what it was that offended God. It's not your individual actions of sin. It's this singular sin. I'm trying to be disciplined, but I'm not doing very well. Let me drop down here. Go down to the 21st verse. And I need to read this um, footnote that I have here. Is it the 21st? Yeah, here it is. It says uh, in the King James, let me get back over here to the King James. It says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Here is an amazing fact. If you can understand what I'm saying, now this is going to take a little bit of effort on your part. You're going to have to use your brain. But listen to this. This is important. The word that was, uh, the word sin was translated from is, I'm not even going to try and pronounce this because I'm, I'm not very good at all this stuff. But anyway, I've got it written down here. If you want to find out, I can tell you later. But this word is used, the Greek word is used 45 times in the book of Romans and translated sin, S-I-N, 45 times. Four times it's translated sins, plural. But this word is a noun and not a verb. Now that is really important because a noun is describing a person, place, or a thing. A verb is describing an action that a person, place, or thing, a noun does. So this word is a verb and it's translated sin, singular, all but one time in the book of Romans. Romans chapter three, verse 25. And the point I'm making here is that when the scripture says that sin reigned unto death, this isn't talking about your actions produced death. This is talking about sin, the sin nature, your propensity for sin, your, your spirit before you got born again. It ruled is what the word reign means. Matter of fact, I've got that written down someplace. Let me look this up. Here's what the word reign means according to the American Heritage Dictionary. It is when it's used as a uh, noun... It means the exercise of sovereign power, dominance, or prevalence. When it's used as a verb, it means to exercise sovereignty, to be prevalent. When it says that sin reigned unto death, it means it dominated, it controlled. It was prevalent that death worked. And again, the word death here isn't talking about only physical death. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23 that... uh, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Death here is not talking about just physical death. Did you know sickness is a result of sin? Anything that comes as a result of sin is death. Sickness is death. Poverty is death. Depression is death. Grief is death. An ungodly anger is death. Anything that came as a result of the fall. And so when it says it's sin, this isn't talking about your individual actions, but it's talking about this sin nature, this, this part of us that was, was birthed, separated from God. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, We were by nature a child of the devil, even as others. 
Before you get born again, you have a nature, a spirit that is separated from God. And the reason you commit actions of sin is because you have this sin nature. A dog acts like a dog because it's a dog. You can dress a dog like a horse. You could treat it to do some things. You could put a saddle on it, but you know what? It's a dog. You can treat, you can, you can take a pig and you can, uh, you know, clean it up and put perfume on it and paint its toenails and put a ribbon in its hair. But you know what? It's a pig and it'll go lay in slop because that's what pigs do. And yet you can take other animals that are so clean, like a cat. Man, it would never live in a pigsty the way that a pig does. You know what? Because it's got a different nature. Whether you understand it or not, it is not your individual actions that separated you from God. It was this sin nature that separated you from God. You were born with it. And the reason you committed sin was because it was your nature to sin. And the law restrained that nature. It didn't change your nature. All it did was make you fearful that you were going to be punished or judged. And so you can get behavior modification through giving people laws and telling them to do certain things, but you can't change their life through laws. You can't change a person's heart. You know, we're in a political season and man, morality is a big deal. And I believe we need to elect officials that will produce godly morals. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so I believe that we need to elect people who will do the right things and do things according to the word of God. But I can guarantee you that if we depend only on government to dictate what is right and just start passing laws. And if we were to just right now, like outlaw all homosexuality, all abortion, all adultery. And if we passed laws and outlawed it, did you know what would happen? We'd have a civil war in this nation because people's hearts aren't right. That's not, I don't, I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things and we shouldn't have righteous laws, but I'm saying that is not the way to do it. You've got to change people's hearts. The reason our nation is going the direction that it's going is because people are more concerned about, you know, all of these other things than they are about godly principles. And therefore they are voting in ungodly people that are leading our nation because they aren't, uh, their relationship with God is not paramount. If we really want to change this nation, you need a two-prong approach. You need moral, godly people in leadership. But the real answer is the church preaching the gospel and getting people's nature changed. That's where our power lies. Amen. And so anyway, people were by nature a child of the devil. So when it says sin reigned unto death, that is not talking about your actions. That's talking about this sin nature Your corrupted, fallen human nature dominated, prevailed, reigned unto death. Not talking about only physical death. It includes that. But sickness, disease, poverty, sadness, depression, all of those things came as a result of this sin nature. That's what it's talking about. So this is when it's talking about this uh, Greek word here, it is not talking about your individual actions of sin. It's talking about this sin nature. So your sin nature dominated, prevailed, controlled your life through uh, unto death. And it says in the same way might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you know nearly every word in this sentence 
has been so twisted that people don't understand what these words mean. Some of you may not understand what I'm saying, but I'm just saying from my standpoint, my own personal life, I had to renew my mind and the people I talked to, 90% of the people will read this wrong. When it says sin, right, they'll think about their individual actions of sin instead of their sin nature. When it says death, they will think about physical death instead of depression, discouragement, sickness, poverty, etc. And then when it says grace, most people don't fully understand what the true grace of God is. Man, I teach on that a lot. And it says grace reigns through righteousness. Most people, when it talks about righteousness, they think about self-righteousness. They think that this means I've got to be right. I've got to start doing everything right. That is, that's the opposite of what this is talking about. And then it says unto eternal life, which I have a whole teaching on eternal life. And most people think eternal life is living forever. That's not eternal life. Everybody lives forever. The devil lives forever. Hitler's living forever. Well, people say, well, it's living forever in heaven instead of in hell. No, the Bible says now we have eternal life. Eternal life, according to John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus was praying right before his crucifixion in the garden. And he said, Father, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not living forever in heaven. Eternal life is an intimate, personal relationship with God. And here's what grace reigns. That means it is prevalent, dominant. It rules through righteousness, right standing with God by faith and not by works. Let me share these verses with you out of Romans chapter 10. I don't know if you're paying attention, but nearly every verse I've quoted is out of the book of Romans. This is what the book of Romans is all about. This is powerful stuff. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That verse shows that there are two kinds of righteousness. There is a righteousness that is from God and then there is your own righteousness. Another way of saying that is that there is a self-righteousness and then there is a a righteousness that comes from God that Romans chapter five says it's imputed unto us. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says it's imputed unto us. Colossians, uh, Corinthians chapter one, first Corinthians chapter one, verse 30 and others. It's an imputed righteousness or a, a faith righteousness. There are different types of righteousness. And over there in Romans chapter five, verse 21, when it says that grace reigns through righteousness, unto eternal life, talking about intimate relationship with God. This is just a concept that the average Christian does not have. Those words just mean different things to them. But this is what I want to try and explain this week. Grace is God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. 
And like I was giving my testimony earlier, I had an encounter where I experienced God's grace. And I knew that God loved me not based on what I did, but based on just the fact that he's loved, not that I'm lovely. And so I understood grace by experience. I didn't have the doctrine down, but I had experienced the grace of God. And I understood the grace of God to a degree. But did you know that grace reigns through righteousness? And I did not have the power of God's grace operating in my life because I didn't understand righteousness. You have to understand these things. And this is talking about, just like this is talking about, that there are two types of righteousness, not a self-righteousness. This is the only way I ever interpreted the word was just my own actions. I had to be good. But there is a righteousness that comes by faith. And that's what this is talking about. Let me go on and read the next verse here. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So no longer are we in, in right standing with God. That's what the word righteousness means. We are right with God, not through our own actions, but through what Jesus did. And when you put faith in a Savior, you become righteous through what He did for you, not what you do. Your righteousness is not based on your actions. And if you don't understand that, grace cannot reign. It can't rule. It can't produce its life until you understand that you are in right standing with God through what Jesus did and not through what you do. That's an awesome statement. That is just powerful. So anyway, let's go back to Romans chapter five and let me try and read through all of these verses to the end of the chapter and then I'm gonna come back and comment on it. Romans chapter five, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, talking about Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. What is the gift? Well, some people would say, well, it's the forgiveness of sins or it's salvation. In context, I'll show you in just a couple of verses, the gift is talking about the gift of righteousness, right standing with God. In verse 16, it says, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one the condemnation but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Notice again, it's linking these two things together. You've not only got to understand the grace of God, but then you've got to understand what the grace of God did for you, how it changed you and made you righteous in right standing with God. You've got to be able to understand that. And very few Christians understand that they are righteous with God. Man, that is awesome. So where did I quit? Verse 17. 
And then in verse 18, it says, therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one talking about Jesus, the free gift, that free gift, according to verse 17 is righteousness came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You were made righteous through the obedience of one, not through what you do. It's not what you do that makes you righteous and in right standing with God. Jesus made you righteous. There is a righteousness that comes by faith. And then there is a righteousness that you produce by your own actions. Your self-righteousness is important and it's essential in getting along with other people. But when it comes to God, it's worthless. God does not evaluate any of us based on our own self-righteousness. It's only based on what one did. One person, Jesus, made you righteous. And if you come before God in your self-righteousness, promoting yourself and talking about, God, I fasted and I've prayed and I'm going to church and I'm paying my tithes and I'm doing this and this and this. Now will you move in my life? God will not answer those prayers. If he gave you what you deserved, you'd go to hell. And some of you think, oh, you don't know how good I am. (laughs) You don't know how good God is. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't take 99.9% and say, man, you're so close. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. You've either got to be perfect, which is impossible, or you need to have his righteousness imputed unto you. And you stand on what he did and not based on what you have done. It can't be a combination of the two. So that's what that verse uh, 19, for if by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You know what? You didn't do anything to make yourself a sinner. Some of you again have this concept that, oh, I'm a terrible sinner because of what you did. What you did is a result of your sin nature. You were damned before you ever started acting the way you did. I know some of you, that's a new wrinkle in your brain and you think, no, that's not so. But that's what these verses, I don't know how you get around this. This just says, by one man, death entered. By one man, condemnation came. By one man, judgment came. And likewise, by one man, Jesus came forgiveness, justification, righteousness, freedom, and liberty. You know, the reason this is so important is because if you can identify yourself as being in Adam and that you were born in trespasses and sin, and it's not your actions that made you separated from God, it was this sin nature that you were born with. If you could accept that and accept that I was just born separated from God, Well, then that means that in the same way as you didn't do anything to make yourself a sinner, you just inherited it. Well, then in the opposite direction, you don't do anything to make yourself righteous. It's not based on your goodness. You just receive it in Jesus. This is why the new birth is absolutely essential. You know what you did to become a sinner? You got born. You were born a sinner. You were born into sin. And then, like again, a little tiny baby, they're selfish. 
I mean, they're innocent and they're cute in a lot of different ways, but you know what? They're selfish. They don't think about other people. You could bring a baby into this meeting tonight and I guarantee you a baby doesn't know that anybody else exists. They don't care that people are here trying to hear the word of God and maybe somebody's life hangs in the balance and man, they need to be healed and they don't care about anybody. They think they're the center of the universe and they would just cry and throw a fit and make a scene and and disrupt the entire service and not think a thing about it because they don't know that anybody else exists. They are the center of the universe. And you know what? They just are selfish. They just think about themselves. They'll throw a fit. You don't have to teach a kid to go steal a toy from their brother or sister. You have to teach them just the opposite, that you know what you need to share. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Some people have never thought this through because babies are so cute and so nice. But you know what? They they have a sin nature and and left to themselves, they will manifest that sin nature. They will fight. They will do things because that is their nature. We were all born that way. And if you can accept that, all you did to get that sin nature was be born. Now, all you do to receive right standing with God is to be born again. And when you get born from heaven, you don't deserve to be the righteousness of God. Many of you, your actions haven't totally changed. If you got truly born again, there should be some evidence of it, but it's proportional to how much you renew your mind. None of us are doing everything perfectly. And so none of us are perfectly acting right. The only thing that made you righteous is the fact that you got born from above. When you got born from above and you got a new nature, that old sin nature left. And you have a brand new nature. Now I just stepped on somebody's religion right there. Many of you think, now, wait a minute, I've still got that old sin nature. No, you don't. If I can talk fast enough during this week, I'm going to teach on this and show you that you don't have a sin nature. You had a sin nature, but when you got born again, your sin nature is gone. It is crucified with Christ and it doesn't have the power of resurrecting every morning. You don't have a sin nature that drives you to sin anymore. Some Christians say, but I still sin. Well, I'll explain to you why you do it, but it's not because it's your nature to anymore. This is major, major. I tell you the things I'm saying, I, I just feel like in a sense, I'm dumping too much on you all at one time because very few people think this way, but most people don't understand they inherited sin. They didn't cause it. They think that they have to live righteously on their own. It's self-righteousness that most Christians are trying to attain instead of understanding that when you got born again, you were given righteous. You were made righteous. Man, keep your finger here. I'm, I'm going to eventually get to the end of Romans chapter 5. But look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Did you know that that is not talking about that all of your old habits pass away, that you won't be mean and bitter anymore. You won't lie. You won't cuss. You won't do this. Now, those things should happen, but that's not what this is talking about. When it says old things are passed away, this is talking about that sin nature. 
is broken. It's gone. And if you renew your mind, it's not an automatic process, but if you renew your mind, you can have all of the old actions and thoughts and problems leave. But that is conditional on how you renew your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse two talks about you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not automatic. It's, it's conditional. But old things, this old nature passes away and all things are become new. Again, that's not talking about in your physical body and in your mind because that doesn't happen. You know what? We will have people born again here tonight. But when they confess Jesus and they get born again and it says old things pass away, all things become new, their body's not going to change. If you were a woman before you got saved, you'd still be a woman. If you were a man, you're still going to be a man. If you were fat, you'd still be fat. If you were ugly, you'd still be ugly. You know what? Your physical body doesn't change. This is not what it's talking about. And it's not talking about just your soul, your mental, emotional part, because if you were stupid before you got saved, you'll still be stupid after you get saved. You know what? You still will have your same memories, your same personality. All of those things are the same. But in the spirit, the part of you that was the nature, you were trapped. And by nature, you were a child of the devil. When you make Jesus your Lord, your nature gets changed. Old things pass away and your spirit becomes totally, totally and completely brand new. Man, that is awesome. And then in verse 18, and all things in the spirit are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit, or that's old English for saying that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Man, that is one awesome passage of scripture. The church as a whole today is imputing people's trespasses unto them and saying, if you do this, God won't do this. If you do this, God doesn't love you. God's angry. God's upset. This is why he hadn't answered your prayer. He's holding your sins against you. But Jesus came not imputing men's trespasses unto them. God does not hold your sins against you. You know what? That's the reason I have to rent a room like this to preach. It's because I can't say this in most churches. Did you know 99% of all churches will kick me out for saying something like that? The church as a whole is imputing, man, if you sin, God's angry, God's upset. This is exactly why God isn't moving in your life. This says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And the way he reconciled us was not to impute our sins unto us. Instead, he imputed God, our sins unto Jesus. He put all of our sins upon Jesus and every rotten thing you've ever done, not only your actions, but that sin nature that was by by nature, a child of the devil was put upon Jesus and Jesus suffered the wrath of God, was punished, put to death. The anger and the wrath of God came on Jesus so much so that he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why God forsook him? Because he became sin. It goes on to say this right here in verse 20. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. 
not just to have a little bit of sin. Jesus became sin. Some people think that I'm blaspheming God by saying that Jesus became sin. Jesus was the son of God. He was holy and he was pure. He didn't become sin because of something he did. It wasn't his actions, but he took the sin of the entire world into his body on the tree. First Peter 2, 24 says, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus took your sin and my sin, not, the indi- not only the individual actions, but the sin nature. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying, but this is, this is important. Most people don't think this way. When I have people come forward and have them repeat a prayer after me, I'll always say something similar to this. Father, I'm sorry for my sin. And did you know every single time the people will say, Father, I'm sorry for my sins, plural. And that's not what I said. I don't stop them and correct them. But you know what? You can't repent of your sins, plural. What would happen if you forgot one? (laughs) Did that mean it wasn't covered? You don't have to confess your sins. You will have people sit there and say, you have to confess your sins in order for Jesus to save you. That's not true. There's one scripture in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that talks about if we confess our sins, plural, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's one scripture, one scripture in the New Testament that tells us to confess our sins to God. Now, there is another scripture in James chapter 5 that says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. But those are separate from salvation. Neither one of those are talking about being born again. That's a separate thing. When you come to getting born again, in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul was in prison and the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself. And he says, do yourself no harm. The Philippian jailer got a light and came in. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? John, uh, Acts chapter 16, I think it's around verse 30. And then in verse 31, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved in your house. He didn't say confess your sins and ask God to forgive your sins. He said, believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus became sin. Not sins, but sin. He took our sin nature upon him. And you do not have to confess your sins, plural. What you do is confess, Father, I'm sorry that I have sinned. But you say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin, singular. I'm sorry that I was born in trespasses in sin and that I have a nature that's separated from you. I'm sorry that I was a part of this human race that violated and came against you. You are confessing your sin nature, not your sins, plural. That is huge. And if you understand this properly, when you get born again, see your sin nature, not sins, but your sin nature is taken care of and it is old and it is passed away and it is gone. And God gives you a new nature that is in righteousness and you are not separated from God anymore. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, then you're going to live under sin consciousness the rest of your life. And every time you mess up, you think I got to get that sin under the blood. 
You got sin, the sin nature and everything that comes from the sin nature under the blood. Not only the want, the sins, the physical actions that you had committed before you got born again, but all of your sin that you will ever commit was already dealt with at salvation and that sin nature was taken out of the way and you are now the righteousness of God. Man, that's awesome. And so, verse 21 again, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There, there is a lot of people in the body of Christ who've accepted that Jesus died for our sins, plural. They don't understand that he died for your sin nature. And when you accept him, he takes the sin nature and everything that came from it and with it away and it's forgiven. But they believe that Jesus died for their sins, but they don't believe the other part of this verse, that they were made the righteousness of God. And again, I go back to these verses, Romans chapter five, verse 17 and 21, that grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. If you believe that God gave grace to you, extended mercy, your sins are forgiven and you aren't going to hell. But if you don't understand that you got a new nature and you are now righteous in right standing, your spirit is perfect and pure and holy. If you don't understand that grace can't reign, it can't dominate, it can't rule in your life. You may not be under the fear of God's wrath and punishment the way you were, but you will never step into your authority in Christ and know who you are and what your rights are until you understand your right standing, your righteous position with God. And this is where the vast majority of the body of Christ is. They believe that they aren't going to go to hell, that their sins, plural, are forgiven, but they, they still think they've got a sin nature. They still think that every time they mess up, it's their own self-righteousness that makes God move in them. They don't understand that our nature is totally changed. When you got born again, there was much more that happened than just something on paper. That you are now officially saved, but there's not really any change until you die and go to heaven. And then you're going to be a new person. And boy, what a day it will be when we all get to heaven. You know, it is going to be an awesome time when we get to heaven. But right now, your spirit is completely, completely changed. And it is righteous and holy and pure. I'm going to share a lot more scriptures with you starting tomorrow on all of this and start showing you these things. But if you could understand righteousness, that's how grace reigns is through righteousness unto eternal life. Not talking about living forever, but unto uh, an, an abundance of life unto an intimate relationship with God where there's healing and prosperity and joy and peace and victory and all of these things. You've got to understand grace and righteousness. Put those two things together before you can experience the abundant life that God wants you to have. You know, I've said a lot of things here tonight that I know are just, uh, it's like overload for a lot of people. You don't want to get this detailed. But you know what? Unless you understand some things. I go back to the verse I started with in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. It is our lack of understanding these things that is causing the problems that we have in our life. If you are truly born again, your little spirit's perfect. You are the righteousness of God. You are identical to Jesus in your spirit. The problem isn't your spirit, it's your head. People will say, well, I'm trying to get the word down into my spirit. You don't need to get the word into your spirit. Your spirit knows all things. First John chapter two, verse 20. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Colossians chapter three, verse 10 says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You aren't in the process of educating yourself and growing. Your spirit knows all things. Your spirit doesn't need the word. It's your brain that needs the word. You've got to renew your mind. You get transformed, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, by the renewing of your mind, not the renewing of your spirit. Your spirit is instantly renewed at salvation. Your spirit is perfect. It's your brain that's the problem. Your little spirit's perfect. It's, this, it's what's right between your ears that's causing all of the problem. And so as painful as it is to think and have to figure something out, I think this will be well worth the effort if you'll just indulge me and come back and listen and find out about righteousness. It'll make a big, big difference in your life. Amen. You know what? If I wasn't born again, I would get born again after hearing this message. There's maybe somebody here that maybe you have been going to church and you've been trying to be good and you've been trying to do the best you can, hoping that it will be enough. Most people have a concept that it's kind of like one of these scales and here's your good works over here and here's your bad works and you just hope that your good works outweigh your bad works and that if your good is better than your bad, maybe God will accept you. If you've understood what I've said tonight, that's not what salvation is. It doesn't matter. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? The wages of sin is death. If you have ever committed a single sin in your life, then that sin nature on the inside of you revived and you are dead in your trespasses and sin. And I don't care if you are better than I am or holier than I am. It doesn't matter. You have a sin nature. You are separated from God. And the only way to ever have a relationship with God isn't through you swearing off things and becoming better. It's by you humbling yourself and receiving the gift of righteousness and just receiving salvation. You have to be born from above. You were born a sinner. Now you have to be born again righteous. And the way you do that, Romans 10, 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If you have been trying to establish relationship with God based on your own goodness, Regardless of how sincere and diligent you are, you can't do it. You have to just receive it as a gift. If you've never done that, you can pray that prayer in Romans 10, 9, and you can be born again tonight. And in your spirit, you'll be totally changed. The rest of the Christian life is just a renewing of your mind and learning what took place on the inside of you. If you've never done that, you need to do that. 
And then once you get born again, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because you know, the things that I've been talking about here tonight, this is not the way that a normal human being thinks. I've been talking about that in your spirit, you're changed and that you were born a sinner. This is not the way people think. You have to have the Holy Spirit enlighten you to these truths. It says in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, when he has come, will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring to your remembrance all things whatsoever I've spoken unto you. The Holy Spirit has to give you revelation of these things. It's not something you can just figure out on your own. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things. It includes speaking in tongues. But you know, the number one thing that happened to me when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Word came alive to me. The Holy Spirit wrote this book and the Word will come alive. I can guarantee you that if you have not received the Holy Spirit and if you don't speak in tongues, it's impossible for the natural man to understand what I've been talking about. I know some of you may not like that, and, but it's just what the scripture says. First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And if you take that in its context, it's all talking about the Holy Spirit quickening things to you. So when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the number one thing that will happen is it will just transform your understanding. You will begin to get revelation knowledge. And part of receiving the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And I know some of you are really disappointed to hear me say that (laughs) because you've watched me on television and because I don't spit and scream and yell and have a handkerchief wiping my fevered brow. You didn't realize I was one of these Pentecostals and you came here (laughs) under false pretenses. But you know what? I do speak in tongues. I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues a lot. And whether you knew it or not, you are at a Holy Roller meeting. (laughs) And they are going to talk about you, so you might as well get something for it. Amen. I'm telling you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And somebody says, do you have to speak in tongues? No, you get to speak in tongues. This is a tremendous blessing. It's a privilege. Somebody says, well, I don't believe everybody gets the gift of speaking in tongues. Not everybody speaks in tongues, but it's not because God doesn't give it. If you receive the Holy Spirit, it's like a pair of tennis shoes. They all have tongues. Amen. guarantee you, God will give every person the gift of speaking in tongues if you will receive it. So if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are two things that every person needs. You need to be born again and you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Is there anybody here who would say, I need one or both of those. Would you pray for me and help me to receive? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand And I want to pray with you and help you to receive. And we got people all over the auditorium. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat, come forward. We're going to pray with you and we're going to help you to receive here tonight. Just come forward right now and stand right here at the front. No, ma'am. <laughs>
Praise the Lord. And if you would, try and spread out. Instead of standing behind each other, stand beside each other. And the reason for this is because we're going to have people that come up and lay hands on you and pray with you. And it, it enables us to get behind and lay hands on people better if you aren't bunched up. So if you can, spread out across here. We've got all of this auditorium and this will give our people room to come up and lay hands on you. Isn't this awesome? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I know there may be some people out there saying, well, I don't speak in tongues, but I'm not sure about this. Well, I am sure about it. So if you aren't sure, you ought to trust somebody who is. I'm telling you that this is a good thing. It's good for you. Somebody says, what are you going to do? I hadn't got a church for you to join. I'm going to give you a free book. I'm going to pray for you and give everybody a free book. So you got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. We aren't trying to take anything from you. We're here to help you. So if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, somebody says, well, I believe I've got it, but I don't speak in tongues. Well, you know, it's possible to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. I did for three and a half years, but that's because I was a Baptist. <laughs> and I had been taught that it was of the devil and I just was so afraid I wasn't going to speak in tongues unless the Lord made me talk in tongues. And you know what? It doesn't come that way. I'm going to explain some things to you, but... You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. It's tremendous. This will bless you. If you don't, if you don't speak in tongues, you should be up here. You know, the worst thing that could happen is you come up here and nothing happens. That's the worst thing that could happen. But you could come up here and you might receive and you might start speaking in tongues and this could transform your life. Amen. You got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Praise the Lord. All right, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You have to be born again. And I've tried to explain it many different ways tonight. But maybe you're a good person. Maybe you've been going to church, but you've been trusting your own goodness. And you don't really believe that you've ever been changed in your nature. You haven't been born from above. If you, if you aren't certain about whether or not that has happened, I believe that you, it hasn't happened because the Bible says that when you get born again, you have a witness in yourself and you know that you've passed from death unto life. It's not just something you're hoping for. You know that you've been changed. Is, is there anybody down here who's, who isn't absolutely certain that you have prayed and made Jesus your personal Lord. We've got to pray with you first and you got to receive Jesus as your Savior before you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody who'd raise your hand and say, that's me, and I want to pray with you first to receive Jesus as my Lord? Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Here's one right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's another one right here. You know, let me just say that out of this many people, this would be the most, this would be the only time in my whole ministry that out of this many people, there's only two people that aren't born again. I'm, I'm thrilled if that's the way that it is. I'm not trying to talk you out of salvation. 
But there's a lot of people just hoping that you're saved because, well, I, I'm a good person. I go to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage would make you a car. If you're a car, get in a garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, go to church. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It all comes down to that verse in Romans 10, 9. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That's more than just saying a word. You are making Jesus your Lord. You're turning your life over. Doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly. Doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake because you will. But you're saying, I want you to have absolute control of my life. I want you to be my Lord. If you haven't done that and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you need to pray with me and receive Jesus as your Savior. You can't receive the Holy Spirit until you do. Anybody else here that's not sure? Yeah, I knew that there were some others. Amen. So I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation. You just need to be sure. So man, this is like a dozen people or so. So I want you to repeat after me. This is not magic. It's not like if you just say these words, it automatically works. But I'm going to say words similar to what you need to say based on that verse in Romans 10, 9. And if you will believe this in your heart and mean it, then Jesus will come in and your nature will be changed. Isn't that awesome? Amen. I'd like to, I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray with me. And notice as I lead you in this prayer. I'm going to say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin, singular. Amen. And tonight, maybe you will understand what I've talked about. So repeat it after me, okay? So let's everybody pray this so they won't feel like we're just listening to them. Let's say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. Right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Do you all believe that? If you believe that, then you know what? You just got changed on the inside. And the rest of this week, I'm going to be talking about what that means and what happened to you on the inside. But right now, you may look the same on the outside. You may feel the same, but I can guarantee you on the inside, you're a brand new person. And according to the Bible, every person who does this is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. It says that twice in 1 Corinthians. And so the significance of this is he made you to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. This is what you were created for. So God created you for this. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit more than you want to be filled. So you don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. God's waiting. He's just wanting you to open up the doors of your temple so that he can come in. And if you will just crack the door a little bit and give him a chance the power of the Holy Spirit will come live on the inside of you and you will receive this gift of speaking in tongues. So we aren't going to beg. We're just going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer and we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers, if they would, to come up here and these people are going to stand behind you 
and lay hands on you. Because the Bible says that when the uh, apostles laid hands on people, the Holy Spirit was given. You can literally release the Holy Spirit into a person's life by laying hands on them. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And then these prayer ministers are going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God for the Holy Spirit and take a step of faith and thank Him that you've got it. I don't care what you feel like. He promised. He said in uh, Luke eleven thirteen, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to just start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, after they've laid hands on you and you start thanking God, I want you to lift your hands like this. The Bible says that lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I yield. And so after they lay hands on you, we're going to lift our hands, start thanking God. And then those of us who know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to switch from thanking Him in English to thanking Him in tongues and just start praying in tongues with us. And the Bible, the reason we do this, the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. You're praising God in the heavenly language. You're bypassing your brain and you're coming out of your spirit. I've got a book that I'm going to give every one of you and it'll explain this. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Let me just give one instruction here and then we're going to pray. The number one thing that held me back and most people is that people are waiting on the Holy Spirit to force you to speak in tongues. You just think He's going to literally take possession of you and make you speak in tongues. But that's not what the Bible says. Acts 2.4 says, They spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you. You talk in tongues. You have to speak. It's similar to me preaching tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. But if I would have just opened my mouth and said, Oh God, speak through me. And then wait on God to make me talk. Nothing would have happened. He did not force me to say what I said. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my personality. I spoke, but I believe the Holy Spirit inspired it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You have to speak. You have to make sounds and by faith believe that this is the Holy Spirit. And after you get over the strangeness and the weirdness of it, you'll find out it just flows through you and you can be thinking about something else and yet you speak and it is inspired by God. But you have to speak. So we're going to pray. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to start thanking God and then we're all going to start speaking in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, I want you to just join in with us and you begin to speak. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what the person behind you is saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It'll be different. It won't come out the same. And once it comes out different, just keep talking. Don't quit. Okay? Everybody ready? Are you ready? That was a question. You know, the Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. I will speak in tongues.
Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for those who got born again. We believe that our nature was changed when we made you our Lord. And you said we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of our temple right now. And Holy Spirit, we want you to come into our lives and fill us with your power. Give us this ability to pray in a language that's beyond our understanding and praying directly out of this born again nature. We ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. And now we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we loose this power to flow into every one of these right now. Thank you, Father. Man, there's a power of God. That's the anointing of Jesus flowing in your life. Father, we just agree. We receive this anointing right now flowing into every person. Now let's lift your hands and start thanking God that he did what he promised he would do. Thank you, Father, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you that I am God-possessed. And from this time forth, I have the quickening power of the Holy Spirit in my understanding that I have this gift of speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. Now, those of you that speak in tongues, let's begin to pray in tongues right now and just worship the Lord. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. Quit praying in English. You can't pray in English and tongues at the same time. Don't speak in a known language. Just let's speak in tongues right now. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what it sounds like. You know, when a child first starts speaking, it doesn't sound like English. But that parent knows what that child is trying to say. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. And he's inhabiting your praises right now. You're bypassing your brain. All of the confusion and the doubt that's in your brain. You're bypassing it and you're speaking out of this born again spirit. Don't worry about what it sounds like. I've heard languages before that are nothing but whistles. Another language is nothing but clicks of the tongue. And yet it's a language. It's been translated. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Just praise God. Man, you're talking to God out of your born-again spirit. Father, we thank you. Thank you for touching these lives. Thank you for filling every single person. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to talk, amen. Open your mouth and talk. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Man, many, many of these are praying in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. 
But until you speak in tongues, you aren't going to have the full manifestation. This really is important. It's a, it's a step of faith. It's, it's a breakthrough. It's like passing a barrier when you get to where you are willing to pray from your spirit and not out of your understanding. It is a major breakthrough in your life. And so even if you didn't speak in tongues, it's important that you do. And I believe that God gave it to every one of you. And I've literally had hundreds of people who've come forward, didn't speak in tongues right then, but they read this book. Nobody had more problems speaking in tongues than I did. Man, I struggled with it for years. But you know what? I finally got it. And I can pray in tongues with the best of them. And I wrote all of these things in a book. And I'll be glad to give you a free copy of this book. So we want you to get the full impact of what's happened to you. And you've got to understand like what I was teaching tonight. So if you would, I'd like you to follow Robert right here. He's the guy way over here with his Bible in the air waving it. And he's going to take you to a room and he'll give you a free book. We aren't asking anything. We're just wanting to help you. If you have questions, we'll pray with you. Uh, If you need prayer, people will pray with you. But if you would, just follow Robert. Let's praise God for these. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. You're welcome, brother. Praise God. Isn't this awesome? God bless y'all. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Hi. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Man, I believe this is going to change your life. I believe you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. Amen. All right, all of these people that are left down here at the front, these are our prayer ministers. And some of these are partners. Some of them are Bible college students. But you know, all of them have been through a training with Ashley and Carly, the couple that you heard give the testimony tonight about their little daughter that was healed, Hannah. And Ashley and Carly now have seen hundreds, thousands of people healed. And they've taught these things about how to receive healing. It's not rocket scientists. It's just what the Word says. We've taught our partners and and these Bible college students how to do this. And we have them up here because instead of me having to be the one that prays for every person, it's not me that does the healing, it's Jesus. And all we need to do is just act on His Word and believe God. So these people are here to help you receive. And so I'd like to give you an opportunity that if any of you need prayer for anything, it doesn't have to be physical healing, it could be anything, But if you would like prayer and agreement, if your faith has been stirred, these are people that want to stand and agree with you. So if you need prayer for anything, just come forward right now. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards a person so that everybody won't just go to one person. But if you need prayer for anything, just get up out of your chair right now. Come forward and let us pray. We've got enough people here that we can pray for every single person in here and give you the time and the effort that it needs for you to receive. So if you need prayer, come forward right now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
And the rest of you, you're welcome to stay and pray with us. I usually pray and call out healings and you're welcome. But if you need to go, of course, many people have already left. But for those of you that were nice enough to stay, you're free to go if you need to. Don't forget that we have tonight's message already duplicated on CD and on DVD. And it's available uh, for you out there. We'll be back in the morning at 10 o'clock, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And then we have uh, 10 o'clock and 6 p.m. service on Saturday. Saturday, we start one hour earlier so that my staff can get packed up and to bed before 2 or 3 in the morning. So remember, Saturday night, it starts at 6. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree right now, and we thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, we've all been healed. Just like Hannah's testimony tonight, Father, we know that it's your will to heal every single person. It is not your will for a one of us to be sick. So we stand here in agreement. You said we lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So we are here laying hands on the sick and we command these bodies to recover tonight in the name of Jesus. We rebuke all sickness and all disease. Satan, we break your power. We command you to get off of all of these people's sickness and disease to go in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, the healing power of God, I believe, is flowing down here into people's lives. There's somebody here that just has pain all over your body. You know, that could come from a lot of different things, but I believe specifically that somebody has fibromyalgia. Just pain in your muscles all over your body. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you and fibromyalgia is being removed right now. All of this pain is gone. Any person in here that has fibromyalgia, I'd like you to stand and raise your hand because there's a number of people already standing. Not anymore, but if that's you, I want you to stand, raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for and I believe you're being set free right now. Did you have pain before we prayed? You're already healed. So who in here had fibromyalgia, just pain all over? If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. This lady's already been healed. Is there somebody? Here's somebody over here. Praise God. Here's the healing power of God coming on you. Father, we just agree. Anybody else, it can be more than one person. Father, in the name of Jesus, we command that fibromyalgia, also sensitivity to other things, uh, perfumes and different things, all kinds of chemical allergies. We break those things now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that the power of the Holy Spirit is flowing and setting people free right now from these things in Jesus' name. Father, we receive perfect healing. Pain, you be gone now. And don't come back in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody here was having pain right here in the, in the back at the base of your skull and in your 
spine and shoulders right here. If that's you, I want you to stand up and identify yourself. Here's the healing power of God coming unto you. Father, for all of these that are standing right now, I command this pain, whatever causes this, if this is an injury or whatever it is, we just command the pain to be gone right now. Leave their body. Get out of them now in Jesus' name. And Father, whatever the source of that pain is, we release your anointing to go to the root of this problem and to heal it now. Here's discs that are being healed. Somebody has pulled muscles in your uh, neck area and shoulders that go down to your shoulders. Here's these muscles being healed right now. Somebody's got a muscle or a nerve that's like a knot. It's all knotted up and that's causing pain. Here's the healing power of God right now setting you free from that. All of that pain leaves right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Father, we believe that this is happening. Right now, I want you to begin to move around. Do what you didn't feel like doing. I believe that here's the healing power of God flowing in your body. Praise the Lord. So who in here has already had your pain leave? If you've already had your pain leave, wave at me. Here's one back here. Two, three, four, five, six. Anybody over here? Seven, eight, nine, ten. Man, there's a dozen or more people. You know, every person, I believe whether your pain left instantly or whether the seed is planted right now, that was broken over you. God didn't just touch a few people. I believe every one of you are healed. And you just stand on it and say, I got it. I'm healed. And I, that pain's leaving you. And I believe you're going to walk totally free of that. Isn't that awesome? Man, that was dozens of people healed right there. Thank you, Father. Somebody's saying, well, you were talking about this shoulder and this neck over to your shoulder, but my problem is in the shoulder. Somebody was saying that. Here's the healing power of God. If you had problem with your shoulder, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God coming unto you. Stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Praise the Lord. Father, I just pray for all of these and thank you that right now that these shoulders are healed. Rotator cuffs are healed right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody's shoulder was frozen. You can't lift it very high. Here's the healing power of God. Lift your arm up right now. Stretch this arm out and here's the healing power of God. And all of this pain leaves you now in Jesus' name. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles. Pain, you be gone. Healing, you come now in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. I believe many of you are experiencing freedom from that pain right now. Who in here has already felt the pain leave? Here's people back here. Praise the Lord. Isn't this awesome? Man, lots of people. Lots of people. And you know what? Whether your pain left instantly or not, you're healed. You need to do what Ashley and Carly did and just stand on it and know I'm healed. Don't you leave here saying, well, it didn't work for me. God healed you. And I believe you're going to see the manifestation of that healing. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Man, here's the Lord healing hips. There's a number of people that you've just got tremendous pain in your hips. 
you've lived with this for a long time. If that's you, I want you to stand right here. Raise your hand and here's the healing power of God coming to you and God's going to heal these hips. If that's you and you're receiving prayer for this, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Praise the Lord. Can you not stand? (laughs) I was just wanting to ask. Amen. Father, we thank you. And right now in the name of Jesus, I release your healing power towards all of these right now. And we command hips to be healed. Whatever's wrong, people that have bone on bone, that have lost cartilage, we command the healing power of God. Command cartilage to come into these joints. We command somebody's hips are being realigned. You had one foot or one leg that was shorter than the other because your hips were out of line. Here's the healing power of God touching you. And I believe that your hips are straightening out right now in the name of Jesus. We command this pain to be gone, this discomfort to be gone. Somebody's sacroiliac is out of joint. I had that happen to me when I was a kid. That was painful. Here's somebody being healed right now of that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we just release your healing power and command these hips to be healed now in the name of Jesus. Pain, you be gone. And Father, we release your healing virtue to repair whatever was damaged. And we receive that. Thank you for these healings right now. Right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Wave at me if your hip pain is gone. If you can tell a difference. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Man, lots of people receiving healing tonight. Lots of pain being gone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive all of these miracles here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's got an, 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 an anemia problem in your blood. You're, you're anemic. I don't know what causes that. I imagine there probably could be multiple things. But if you know that you've got a, an anemic problem, if you're anemic, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God ministering healing to you. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Anybody else? Praise God. Father, I pray for all of these right now and we command whatever has happened to this blood, whatever has made them anemic, we command that to stop now in Jesus' name. Father, I loose your anointing. I release your healing into their blood right now. Thank you, Jesus. God is touching the marrow of your bones. And your body is going to start producing. Things are working out right now. We command that anemia to be gone. And Father, we receive perfect health, perfect healing in these bodies now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. You know, you may not be able to feel this like those others that had the pain leave, but I believe that the healing power of God has touched your body here tonight. I believe that this anemia is gone. It's going to take a period of time for your body to recover, but I believe that this anemia is gone. You're healed of this. Man, right now, you need to go to rejoicing and praising God because this is over. You're healed. It's not going to be the way it was before. This is over. You're healed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree. 
And we receive these healings now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Awesome. I tell you what, we're seeing a lot of people healed down here. A lot of people receiving the supernatural power of God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Father, we agree and we receive all of these miracles. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, it looks like just about everybody is getting prayer. I'm going to let you go. Remember that we'll be back in the morning at 10 o'clock and tomorrow night at 7, Saturday 10 and 6. And then we have a meeting with the pastors tomorrow right after the morning session. And then on Saturday, we have a meeting about our Bible colleges right after the morning session on Saturday. Praise God. So thanks for coming. God bless you. You are dismissed.